Is that working now? Great, thanks. We have an, like this fabulous panel back there. Thanks guys for all you do. Um, for those of you who may be new here, I'm not the normal guy, okay? So I'm the admirable one. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm delighted to be able to give Brian a, a break here. And Brian, I just wanna, want you to know how much I appreciate you as a pastor and how privileged I am to be able to give you a Sunday off from preaching, even though you've got lots of other things you're doing today. So anyway, thank you. Uh, let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks that we can gather here in the name of the Lord Jesus, where you inhabit us through your spirit because the gathered church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and you inhabit us because we as believers in Jesus are temples of the Holy Spirit. So we pray that through your spirit you would open our hearts to understand about you and your ways and that uh, each of us would be encouraged by uh, this encounter with your word uh, give me clarity as I speak and uh, create understanding in people's hearts. Uh, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, I have daughters who are artists. I mean, like really good artists. Like, you know, in our living room, we have paintings and drawings and oil and acrylic and pastel and, and pencil and, and some of these have won prizes at, at Salt Fork and you know made the governor's show and things like that. I mean they are good artists, okay? I am not an artist. <laughs> and you know I kind of marvel at how they do what they do because I, I just I just don't know how it happens. Uh, but, you know, when I think it was like when I was in sixth grade, I got a Christmas present. And, you know, I opened the box, and there it was. It was this sort of canvassy thing, and it had nice, a, a nice outline drawn in of what, what was a potential picture. And inside those little outline uh, lines were numbers. <laughs> and so if you did this right, if you... If you saw that the number in the uh, s circle, whatever, uh, corresponded to the number on the paint jar, you could take from the paint jar and paint within there and then go from one to the other to the other. And lo and behold, <laughs> this would be something that actually looked pretty good, okay? <laughs> paint by the numbers. Um, wouldn't it be great if the Christian life were paint by the numbers? <laughs> Just you do this and ta-da, everything is beautiful, right? Um, life isn't always that simple. Sorry. So uh, it, it's, it's partly because really what we need to realize is that life as a Christian is not about following rules or following a formula. It means following Jesus. So we're in a relationship with the true and living God through Jesus, who is crucified for our sins, raised bodily from the dead to give us life, who gives us his spirit to live within us. And, and so we, we benefit from God as he continues to fulfill his promises to bless the entire world through Abraham and his descendants, especially the descendant, Jesus, so I think it's important for us to, to realize that, that it's about 
faithfulness to God, not a formula. Uh, the, the Christian life is about faithfulness to God, not a formula. And, and we're in a relationship with a faithful, reliable God who always fulfills his promises. So maybe now would be a good time to review our theme verse, which is all about promises. So uh, whether you're reading it from the bulletin, oh good, it's on the screen, thanks. I, by the way, this is not going to be one of those messages where I allow you to take notes. I mean, Brian does this beautifully, and, and I'm sorry I can't do what Brian does, but... Uh, uh, so you'll have to bear with me on this. But we do have the verse, so let's read it all together now. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. So we have a story, we're in the middle of it, where we're seeing promises come to pass. Or... Well, let's read today's story. I'm going to read from Joshua chapter 9. <coughs> I'm going to read the whole thing for us here. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the, the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn-out and torn and mended, with worn-out patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you? And where do you come from? They said to him, oh, From a very distant country your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. <clears throat> and Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. At the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them, they heard they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon and Kephirah and Beeroth and Kiriath-Yarim, but 
the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders, but all the leaders said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. And the leader said to them, let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said of them. Joshua summoned them and he said to them, why did you deceive us saying we are very far from you when you dwell among us? Now therefore you are cursed and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. And now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and jars of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. So let's try to unpack this. This could be a complicated story or not. So I think there are some things that are important to understand in order to, to get what's happening here. Now, the first two verses actually set the tone. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan and the hill country and all the lowland along the coast, and they named them, um, uh, they, when they heard what was going on, not simply that the people of Israel had been victorious, but also what was going on with what happened at the end of chapter 8, which we'll, we'll talk about in a bit. They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. That, that sets the tone not only for this story, but also for what happens next week. So you're going to have to keep the, this, this thing in mind because we don't have a story where everybody is gathering together against the Israelites. Instead, we have one group that's trying to escape from them. Okay, so, so the first two verses do set the tone. Uh, the, the story comes on the heels of, of two singular moments. Uh, we, we've read the story uh, and, and gone over the past few weeks of the defeat of the, the uh, inhabitants of the town of Ai. Now, I say Ai, Brian said Ai. By the way, the Hebrew is Ha'ai, okay? So take your pick. We're not, we're not splitting hairs here. Uh, there, there's a letter missing in all of our, our translations, okay? But, uh, uh, so I'll call it I and Brian will call it Ai, and you know, we're both right and we're both wrong, okay? So <laughs> that's all right. Uh, but, but that story where they lost and then they won. Okay, so, so that's happened. Um, and then just after that, uh, we have this, this amazing moment where uh, all of the tribes of Israel were gathered together in half on Mount Ebal and half on Mount Gerizim, and there in the middle is the town of Shiloh, if you didn't know that. You know, Shiloh is an important place uh, for, for uh, actually, it's where eventually the temple gets set up temporarily. But anyway, there they are and doing just what Moses commanded them to do uh, in Deuteronomy. Uh, they're, they're reading the entire law 
and shouting at each other blessings and curses written in the law. It's, it's a singular scene. So that's just happened, and it's important to recognize that that's just happened. Uh, so the stakes are high. Uh, they've lost a battle at Ai because they were in covenant violation. A man named Achan coveted and took the silver and gold in Gen and, and Deuteronomy uh, 7 says, do not, take, do not covet and take the silver and gold. He did that. Um, and, and they lost the battle. And, and then the next week, or the, the next, you know, once they got this right, and it was a very tough scene for how they got it right, then they come back up uh, being covenantally loyal, and they win the battle. So, oh, if we are loyal, we lose. If we... I'm sorry, if we are loyal, we win. If we are disloyal, we lose. Uh, and, and then they read the covenant that rehearses all of that stuff. So, so it's going to uh, be worth our while to, to, to understand issues of, of the covenant. Uh, the stakes are high because of what the covenant declares. And, and this is the covenant that God makes with the Israelites. Uh, the other thing I think it helps us to, to recognize is that Joshua and then Judges and Samuel and Kings after, those four writings actually very heavily depend on certain thematic ideas you find in Deuteronomy. Now, not just Deuteronomy exclusively, but, but there are certain things that, that uh, those stories revolve around. Uh, so and I, I think it, it's important us to recognize that Joshua is a covenant faithfulness story. I mean, for the most part, it's, it's all good. Um, uh, God shows his faithfulness or his loyalty to the people with whom he's in covenant relationship, and, and they show their faithfulness and their loyalty to God, and it's all good. Because covenants are about relationships. And I think that's what matters. Covenants are about relationships. So, so let's, let's just review this covenant in case you're unfamiliar with it. Uh, and it all begins, actually, where God promises a man named Abraham that he's going to change the world through him. Uh, and he's going to do that by giving him land. And so here we are in Joshua, and the land that God had promised uh, to Abraham. And, and, uh, and, and he, pro he, he promises Abraham he'll give him land, and he'll make him a great nation, and he'll bless him, and that, that in him all the families of the earth will be blessed. And you're wondering, how in the world is God going to bless the whole world through this one guy? Uh, and... and uh, the world of Genesis, is a, it's a faith story. But we get the answer in Exodus. He's going to do that by making a covenant with the descendants of Abraham, whereby they may be blessed in the land that he's giving them. And in that covenant, he promises to make the Israelites his treasured possession and a priestly nation. You know, priests are people who represent uh, others before God. So here is the nation to be a priest so that the whole world can understand who God is by how they see the people of Israel living out their covenant. Uh, and, and that gets, uh, you know, th that ends up being interesting because while God promises to make them a priestly nation, they agree to do everything he tells them. A whole pile of commandments, not just 10, but hundreds uh, that you find in Exodus and then picks up in Leviticus and some more in Numbers, and then everything gets repackaged in Deuteronomy where Moses gives a farewell speech to remind them, hey, this is the covenant that you're in. So, 
Uh, it's important to understand that this covenant means, okay, Israel and God, they're in a special relationship. Uh, so, let, let's just see how some of this plays out. I'll do some Bible reading here. This is Deuteronomy chapter 7, which is really important for how things work in the world of Joshua. I'm just going to read uh, the first eight verses. When the Lord your God, so this is Moses speaking to the Israelites, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to, to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, and they list them all, um, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them. Uh-oh and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly, but thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram, uh, worship figures, and burn their carved images with fire. So do you hear in this, this is about being in good relationship with God. You, you can't be in relationship with God if you're two-timing him. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's basic relationship 101, okay? So, so this is about uh, yes, sounds harsh, wiping out the inhabitants of the land, but because they would draw you to their gods and uh, the people of Israel are in a special, unique relationship with God, they are to remove what is going to take them away from that relationship. And this is what we see playing out in Joshua. They are coming into the land and they are defeating uh, the nations that are there uh, and doing so in a way to express their loyalty to God that they indeed are uh, at one with him in relationship. And then it's really interesting, in, in chapter 20 uh, of Deuteronomy, uh, there are some, some comments here about, sorry, it's sticking here, um, uh, in, in verse 10 about what, what they can do when they draw near to a city. Uh, in, in, and, and when they go to war, in, in verse 10 it says, when you draw near to a city to fight against it, Offer terms of peace to it, and, and if it responds to you peaceably and it opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall do forced labor for you and shall serve you. But if it makes no peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it, and when the Lord your God gives it into your hand, you shall put all its males to the sword. But the women and the, and the little ones and the livestock and everything else in the city, it's all spoiled to you, and you shall take a splendor for, plunder for yourselves, and you shall enjoy the spoil of your enemies, which the Lord your God has given you. Thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you, which are not cities of the nations here, but in the cities of these peoples, as the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance, you shall save nothing alive that breathes. So, you know, here we have a story where the people of Gibeon are pretending to be a far nation, almost like they're taking advantage of this little clause here, uh, that uh, with distant cities, they can make a treaty, but not with the present ones. Uh, and then, 
along with this, we have special promises. It's almost like incentive clauses, if you will, that, that, that Moses uh, puts into uh, Deuteronomy, and, and, and we, we will jump into the middle of these in chapter 28. It's, it's like God is saying, I, I, I love you so much as my people. Um, when you are all in with me with all your heart, look at all these things I will do for you. But I love you as my people, and when you start two-timing me, look at all the things I will do to you to bring you back to myself. I think it's important to understand that. So, uh, chapter 28. If you faithfully, this is verse 1, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of the ground, and the fruit of your cattle, and the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall, it be, shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way, and flee before you seven ways which is kind of like what happened at I. Now, here's the thing. If you are disloyal, you know, you start two-timing in, and with that, that means you're going to be disobeying, um, then all these blessings, I will turn against you. So you will uh, go out one way against your enemies and flee seven, which is exactly what happened at the Battle of I. So I, I hope you understand uh, the, the, the covenant stakes here. Um, God has promised this land to Abraham. Problem. The Canaanites and other nations live there. How are they going to uh, be able to inhabit the land? Answer, they're going to have to go to war. How are they going to win battles? Answer, by being loyal to Yahweh with all their heart and soul and might. With the result that Yahweh will give them victory in battle. Uh, but if they are disloyal and they, and they start two-timing God, they can expect things to go the other direction. So in the big picture, we start to see progress toward God fulfilling his big covenant with Abraham in the book of Joshua as bit by bit they cover the land. So the covenant with the Israelites is, so to speak, the initial means that God is using to then rescue the whole world. Now, we're not going to spend time going through the rest of the Old Testament because we'll find out that, you know, didn't quite work out that way. Um, but that's all right because we have Jesus. And, and, and so we're, we're in the Jesus phase of things here, which um, is addressing basically the human condition you know, for all our good intentions. We're just not going to do it when we don't want to. So, um, when they are loyal to God and their covenant, God will give them victory. They'll gain territory. And, and that's the point. So, so the stakes are high here now because they've already experienced it once at I. And then they read the covenant and saying, yes, we're all in with this and these are the blessings, these are the cursings. And now have they done it again? Oh, no. So, uh, we, we have this deception story. Oops, I had to go back. forgot to put my... There it is. Okay, good. Um, 
we have this deception story. Here come the Gibeonites, and boy, do they do it. <laughs> you know, the bread, the clothing, the, the, the shoes, <laughs> the wineskins, uh, and, and they are bending over backwards to make this uh, appear as real as possible. And the Israelites are skeptical, aren't they? And they say, how do, you, how do we know you're not fooling us? And they say, oh, well, well look, see, see? <laughs> Uh, they bring it out. Look, th- this was was warm, really. Uh, when we left, and now it's not warm anymore. It's crumbly, you know. And this, these were great wineskins when we left, and now they're all dried out. So, uh, and and then we have this jarring statement: Israel did not ask counsel from the Lord. Now, let's not make too much of that, because uh, that that you know, needs to be unpacked a little bit too. It's not saying exactly, you know, they should have prayed beforehand. And by the way. You know, before making a decision, it is always a good idea to pray, okay? So do not misunderstand me. uh, I'm sure I've made a number of boneheaded decisions because I didn't stop and pray beforehand. And and Bea is really good at this when when we're in the middle of a dilemma and we're trying to figure it out. She says, well, let's pray. And part of me is going, what, because God's going to speak to me? But lo and behold, when you do that, it's, it's amazing the clarity that comes from this, okay? But, but that's not exactly what he's saying here because, again, they're in a special covenant relationship with God and as a part of that covenant, uh, the priests and uh, the people of Israel have these mysterious devices. They're called Urim and Thummim. I don't, have you ever run across those? I mean, those are like fancy words that uh, when, when we read them, we skip them, don't we? You know, I just... Don't you do that when you look at a word you don't know, you just kind of skip over it. So, Urim and Thummim, what in the world is going on there? It seems to be this, this division, I'm sorry, decision-making device that the Israelites have available to them through the priest. And, and it's kind of mysterious. No one knows exactly how this thing worked because uh, it's Urim and Thummim, um, and it's for making decisions. It, it's almost... I hate to put it like this, like, like coin flipping. You know, it's either Urim or it's Thummim. I mean, sometimes it comes out that way. Uh, and, and you find sort of yes and no questions. Um, so, you know, there are various stories in the Old Testament. Uh, should I go up and, and, and attack them? And the, 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 the answer comes back no, or the answer comes back yes, you know. Uh, so, so this is a special thing. We don't have access to this sort of thing. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice, okay? Oh, uh, we don't have this thing. Uh, and that's what it seems to be referring to. Uh, uh, in Numbers chapter 27, Joshua is given a very special connection. He's, he's uh, told that, um, it's, it says, He, Joshua, shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. And at his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in. So, so he has special access to this decision-making device. That's what those words are saying in, in numbers. So that's probably what's going on here. He didn't go through the priest and the Urim and all that stuff. Okay? They counted on the honesty of the Gibeonites and got fooled. So now there's a problem. Uh, and, and the problem is, especially because sworn treaties, vows, and covenants are all big deals. Uh, Leviticus 19.12, you shall not swear by my name falsely, you know, swearing oaths, 
you shall, not, not, not using bad language, okay? Swearing those, like, I do solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so holy God, you know, that kind of swearing, okay? Uh, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Uh, Numbers 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 to 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you promised with your mouth. Uh, in other words, what? They say matters, and if they swear by the name of God, that means something. So they wouldn't have, it's implied, they wouldn't have entered the treaty had they consulted the Lord, but having sworn by the name of Yahweh their God, now they placed God's reputation on the line. And they're potentially in big trouble here in terms of the covenant, uh, which is why it says the people complained. Um, are they doomed? Uh, ha have they used the wrong color in the wrong <laughs> spot on the canvas there? Uh, have they gone out of the lines? Um, the story shows this is not paint by the numbers. So, so here's their dilemma. I don't know if you're, you're seeing it quite like this. Dilemma, okay. Choice one. We, we could wipe out the Gibeonites anyway and risk disobeying the covenant by dishonoring our commitment to God by violating our word to the Gibeonites, a treaty sworn in the name of Yahweh himself, or we could honor the treaty anyway and risk disobeying the covenant by dishonoring God and not destroying the people we were commanded to destroy. Do, do you hear? It, it sounds like it's a lose-lose. And, and it would be lose-lose, except that this is not paint by the numbers. It's about faithfulness to God, not a formula. So here's their solution. They, they agree to make the Gibeonites servants, you know, drawers of water and cutters of wood, and, and you know, that, that's a special uh, uh, category that, that's talked about elsewhere in Deuteronomy. Uh, it, it's what, what they can do to foreigners living in their land. Um, but so they seem to be applying it that way. But but the agreement also sounds like the kind of treaty we read about in Deuteronomy 20, like what they can do with uh, people in a distant place, make them servants. Uh, but there's there's a plus here. You know, make them servants. But there's something more interesting that's going on. Yes, one of the reasons they were to wipe out the inhabitants of the land was an act of judgment. Uh, when God promises the land to Abraham in the first place, he says, it's going to take 400 years for you to get this land because the iniquity of the, the folks living there is not yet complete. He gives them 400 years of sinning before the Israelites come in. And, and Deuteronomy 9 says as much, um, you shall make, uh, sorry, do not say in your heart, 
And that the Lord of God, uh, after the Lord your God has thrust out these nations before you, it's because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. It's because of the wickedness of the nations he's driving them out before you. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're to be God's judging instrument with this horrible wickedness that the Canaanites actually were involved with. But um, the other reason to wipe out the inhabitants was so that uh, the inhabitants could not lead them to serve their gods. And that's what really matters here. Uh, again, reiterate these words. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their, or, uh, to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, but they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. So what do they decide to do? The Gibeonites are to be cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of God when he establishes it. Instead of the Israelites being lured to serve the Canaanites' gods, the Gibeonites are being required to serve Israel's God. Now, this is coming out in terms of a relationship here. So, the, the deception of, of, of the Gibeonites was motivated by uh, uh, the reputation of Yahweh. Here's the reputation. He is surely going to give this land into your hands, into their hands. We, we've heard what he did to the Egyptians. Uh, we heard what he did to, uh, to the Amorites, you know, Og, uh, king of Bashan. Um, so so uh, it, God's reputation has gone ahead. And, and it's a reputation that's rooted in this, this fabulous word that, that Brian introduced us to a few weeks ago, this word acid. God's loyal covenant love. Um, uh, God keeps his promises. And in return, God's people should aim to do the same, especially because they are connected to God. So God keeps his covenant and, and his promises even when his covenant people mess up. And, and, and Brian took us through that story a few weeks ago with the, the golden calf scene where uh, while Moses is up on the mountain here, the Israelites making a god, you know, telling Aaron, Moses' brother, make a god for us. And they bow down and worship that. And the upshot of all that story is God commits himself to the Israelites anyway. Just because they two-timed him doesn't mean that God's done with them. No, he doubles down. I forgive their iniquity and transgression and sin. Even if there is a mode of punishment there. No, they are still my people and will always be my people. It's a fabulous story. So, hesed, loyal love, being loyal to covenants and loyal to promises. That's close to the heart of who God is and what God is doing, especially in these stories. Uh, and... Um, you know, we've seen this before. We, we saw this in the Rahab story. And I don't know if you hear how similar this is to the, to the Rahab story in chapter 2. You know, remember Rahab, who, who harbors the Israelite spies, uh, even lies for them, and uh, says, look, we have heard what God has done in the exact same things that the Gibeonites said. He wiped out the Egyptians and the kings and the Amorites. And so surely God was going to give this city into your hands, so make a treaty with me. Uh, now we have this one difference. Rahab is actually crossing over and making Yahweh her God. So she is coming in to the fold of the people of God. But the Gibeonites, 
<laughs> they're telling a lie. <laughs> and there's no declaration anywhere in here that, oh, we're going we're gonna to now be devoted to Yahweh. Well, they're going to have to serve Yahweh in a strange way, but nevertheless, uh, it's not exactly the same, but it's similar enough because they entered into a treaty with Rahab. We will not destroy you, and anyone in your house we will not destroy. And when we see the follow-through on that in uh, Joshua chapter 6 in the Battle of Jericho, sure enough, they bring her out. And they honor their treaty. See, these promises, these treaties, they matter. God is in a treaty relationship with his people, the Israelites, and he is loyal to them. They are to be loyal to him and serve him only. And in the process of doing that, they then do things that also reflect who God is in terms of um, following through on promises. Um, so we saw this happen with the Rahab story, and God honored it. Here is the Gibeon story. Will God honor this promise? Come back next week. <laughs> That's Brian's message, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> leave you hanging there. What, what, what do we make of all of this? You know, it's their story, it's not ours. Uh, and it's their covenant, and it's not ours. We, we belong to a different covenant, a, a new covenant, which we'll look into in just a bit. Um, do, does faithful reliability matter for us as Christians? Well, consider these words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Again, you have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it's the foots, his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Or listen to the words of Jesus' brother, James, in James chapter 5, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. In other words, you don't need the oath to be reliable. And even Paul says something similar in, in 2 Corinthians, and we've been walking through this stuff in, in uh, uh, the, the adult discipleship hour. Uh, do I make my plan, says Paul, according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? Sit there, you hear they're all talking about this. Uh, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it's always yes. <clears throat> so, being people of our word matters even within the new covenant. Uh, through Jesus, we're, we're attached to God who is faithfully reliable. And when we are reliable, we reflect well on God. When, when we are not reliable, we reflect badly on God. And in the same way that the Israelites would reflect badly on God, if they, having sworn by the name of Yahweh, this treaty, and then they renege it. No, no, we're, we're going with God's reputation on this, because uh, the reputation of our God is to be loyal 
even when it's coming to victory in battle, we are going to be loyal when we make this kind of treaty as well. So loyal love, hesed, it's, it's a strong concept found throughout the Old Testament. Uh, God will remain loyal to his people regardless of their covenant violations. That uh, doesn't mean they don't face consequences. Uh, the consequences for being disloyal, that they're baked into the covenant, as, as we read in Deuteronomy 28. Um, and the whole point of things that look like punishments are to bring them back on track because they are his people, not because God is just some sort of whatever, uh, throwing lightning bolts left and right. So you better get in line with me or else. Uh, this is about a relationship. This is how God works. Um, now, the thing about hesed is it doesn't have an exact, you know, that's a Hebrew word, doesn't have an exact uh, word that the New Testament picks up on. I mean, the closest one is the word for mercy. And, and that's often, in fact, almost exclusively when, when hesed passages are quoted by, uh, in Greek by the New Testament, they use the word for mercy. Um, not too far away. Uh, I mean, what, after all, okay, if God in his loyal love, instead of squishing his people for um, violating the covenant, forgives them and lifts them up, okay? What is mercy? Uh, at the heart of mercy often is continuing to give even when people are in utter weakness. I mean, when we are in total weakness, that's when we need mercy the most. I mean, who is the target in... Who is the target girl in eighth grade middle school? <laughs> uh, the one who is in the weakest position. What does she really need? Mercy, okay. But when we have done something to violate God and his standards, we are at our weakest before God. And what does God do? Come on. <laughs> he shows mercy. So mercy and forgiveness go together. Forgiveness is, it would be an, an act of mercy. And, and we see this play out, it played out in the Rahab story. We are weak. We are going to be killed. Um, and, and in the process, uh, they show her mercy by saying, you enter into a covenant with us, we will be merciful to you. So loyalty and mercy are going together in this kind of activity. Um, uh, when, when God allows the Israelites to defeat the city of Ai, he is also showing mercy. Uh, they lost the first time they, they reconnected with God through the covenant and doing all that God told them to do. He showed them mercy. They won the next battle. God forgave his people and honored his covenant with them. So forgiveness is an act of hesed. It's an act of mercy. Uh, and, and forgiving others is really important for us, yes, especially in Jesus. Uh, it's what Paul teaches in Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It, it's what Jesus teaches in Matthew 6, 14 to 15. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You know, forgiveness and mercy, they, they go together. And they go together. God shows this. Those who are connected to God show this also. That's, that's how that works. It's really interesting um, uh, how, how this grows out of relationship with God. Um, in Matthew 5, Jesus elevates mercy. You know, blessed are the merciful. They'll receive mercy. When, when Pharisees criticize him for eating with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus 
responds with a quote from a Hesed verse in Hosea. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's what you guys need to go learn, he tells the Pharisees. And, and he does it again with the Pharisees in chapter 12 when they start complaining, your disciples are working on the Sabbath by, I don't care, they're hungry, they're, they're, they're picking food and eating it. They shouldn't be doing that. You don't do that on the, on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, go learn. <laughs> I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And in chapter 23, he, he dings Pharisees again when he says, you guys have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. So mercy matters always. It's, it's, it's totally connected to the God in whom we are in relationship. And we are in relationship with the same God through Jesus. Now, unlike the Israelites, we do not have blessings and curses attached to our covenant. You know, if you do this, look at all the good things that God will do for you. If you do this, look at all the bad things God will do to you to bring you back online. Our covenant doesn't work that way. Um, uh, uh, but but let, let, let's hear this out, because at the end of giving all the blessings and the curses, Moses offers this invitation. He says at the end of Deuteronomy 30, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Life for the Israelites as God's people is a choice. Choose life. In choosing to love God, they are choosing life, a choice they need to maintain. And when they do, God blesses them. When they don't, he doesn't. Now, compare that with what we were just reading in Romans 8. Verse 2 of Romans 8, talking about the law of the spirit of life who has set you free, says Paul, in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Verse 6, to set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Verse 11, if the spirit of him, the Father, who raised Jesus, the Son, from the dead, dwells in you. I just love the Trinitarian bit of that statement, little side comment there. Uh, the Father is not the Son, is not the Spirit, <laughs> and we can't do without all three persons of God who is one. Okay, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And then verses 12 to 13. We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I, I don't know if you're catching this. Uh, the Spirit of God who dwells in us is associated with life. For us, life is not a choice. It's God's gift. <laughs> It's what we have in Jesus because the Spirit dwells within us. So it's not a matter of saying, I better do these kinds of things or else. <laughs> it's a matter of, God, I can't get through the mess of this world and I can't get through what I'm struggling with right now. Give life to me through your Spirit. <laughs> and he does. And, and we all know, because we've had these experiences when we've blown it, and it just sucks the life right out of us, doesn't it? Okay? And then there's God with his spirit who dwells within us to pump us back up again. We cannot do this Christian life without the spirit. That's the major upgrade we experience in Jesus. 
God cleans up our lives through the cross, gives us new life through the, through, through the resurrection of Jesus, and now we have the Spirit as a guarantee, a down payment that will be fully changed when Jesus returns. And, and so we come back to our passage here. Um, we may not have the same covenant as the Israelites in our passage, but we have the same God always faithful to his promises. And, and when we see God honor his promises to his people Israel, it should give us hope that, that we as well will continue to have God with us, taking us through the messes in our lives, including our own mess-ups. So in choosing faithful reliability, the Israelites made a choice that matched God's own reputation. God has a reputation of being loyal, we will be loyal also. We've sworn by the name of the Lord of hosts. And, and because they are in covenant relationship with a God who honors his promises to his people, his people reflect God well when they honor their promises to others. As believers in Jesus, we're in a relationship with a true and living God, and it's not about following rules, painting by the numbers. It's about following Jesus. With the Spirit of God breathing into our very souls as we receive life from God the Father. When we respond to the Spirit of God who dwells within us, we, we reflect the life the way it's designed to be and the way it will be when Jesus, our King, returns to establish the kingdom in its fullness. Just like God's reputation in fighting for his people impressed the Gibeonites uh, and uh, also uh, the Canaanites, the Israelites also impressed the Canaanites by how they honored their agreement. In the same way, God's reputation to fill us with his spirit to make us faithfully reliable, merciful, and forgiving can also impress the unbelieving world around us. It's about faithfulness to God, not a formula. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the grace that you show us and continue to give so freely and unattached, um, without strings. Uh, and yet, uh, you desire all that we have and you've given uh, your very Son to die for our sins, to be raised from the dead. You've given us your Spirit uh, to... Uh, seal the deal and keep us with you. So we thank you for all that you give us and ask that you would continue to give us the grace uh, to live out uh, the reputation of your greatness in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.